All right, let's get our Bible and turn to the book of Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. Starting verse 26, I want to read several verses in Luke. I also want to read a few other passages that, I, that deal directly with the subject that I'd like to cover tonight. So let's, uh, we'll begin in Luke chapter 1, verse number 26, but I'll pray before we read uh, verse 26. Lord, thank you once again for your goodness to us and for the opportunity to gather together and those that have gathered here and those that can't but have listened in. Thank you for each one. Lord, as we look into these things, I pray that you would build our faith. Uh, Lord, we, we need you. We ask you to teach us, to help us to understand your word, to help us to, uh, to live by faith and uh, not put any artificial barriers between ourselves and you and what you can do. We pray that you would uh, guide and direct in all these things. And of course, Lord, please give grace to those that are bearing uh, sickness and other kind of health problems, especially Brother uh, Ken, it's just Sarah Muxlow and Miss Judy and uh, the Aguilars. Please continue to bless them and think of also um, uh, the others that are sick as well. Lord, please give grace to them. Uh, Miss Sherry, who's been uh, under the weather here the past uh, couple of weeks, please give her grace also. Lord, you know the needs that we have. We pray that you would speak to each heart according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter, chapter 1, verse number 26. The Bible says, And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came, came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Now, what's interesting as we go continue on through this uh, passage here is this angel describes how Mary is favored, how the Lord is with her, and how she's blessed. But it does not say anything about her being without sin or otherwise more holy than anybody else that had ever, that had ever lived. And uh, when you read Mary's, uh, whether they call it the Magnificat, the, the prayer of Mary, uh, she actually describes how that she herself needs a Savior. So there's all kinds of ideas floating around that have for many, many decades and centuries about Mary. But, of course, we just stick with what the Bible says. Verse number 29, And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and, and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then, Mary, then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. 
Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Now, what I want to concentrate on this evening is verse number 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And of course, in the context, this is a reference to uh, the reason why the angel mentions this is because of his previous mention of Elizabeth. Now, we know the birth of Elizabeth, as we talked about on Wednesday night, the birth uh, of John the Baptist by Elizabeth and that of, uh, of Jesus by Mary were two completely different things. However, they were related in this fact, in that both were acts of God that were utterly and totally impossible by men. And that's the important thing I want us to notice. Um, and in this, uh, in verse number 36, it says, And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. Now, so what the, what the angel says to Mary is that, in essence, the angel uses Elizabeth as an example to encourage Mary's faith, right? So what God, has, what God had been doing and had done for Elizabeth, God used that to encourage Mary and help Mary to understand that nothing is impossible with God. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you that it's a, I hesitate a little bit about uh, using this particular verse because, you know, there are certain verses in the Bible that they put on calendars and they put on bookmarks and, you know, lunch boxes or whatever they, wherever they put them in. And a lot of times those verses, they, they use them as, as rabbit's foot, a rabbit's feet. Is that the right word? You know, they use them as a lucky charm. You know, you just quote it. Like the most common one is Philippians chapter 4, right? I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Regardless of what's around it, regardless of the context, they just use it as a rabbit's foot. But for us, number one, we acknowledge that these kinds of verses are in the Bible. But we also should be biblically literate enough to know the place in which these verses were found. And when we understand the places in which they're found, they will be an encouragement to us. Because without a doubt, without a doubt, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Without a doubt, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now, we all give mental assent to this fact. We all nod our head and we agree mentally with this fact. But I fear that oftentimes our application of this is not so consistent. In other words, we don't really live like this is the case. We don't often live like this is the case. Now, let me say at the outset that, that there are, th this verse, of course, just like almost every verse in the Bible, it's not a, a blanket statement with no exceptions. There are many things that God will not do. <laughs> no matter what you say or do or what I say or I do, one of them is God will never lie. He can't, he can't lie. So, so we can always find little exceptions and, and uh, be picky about that, but um, but, there, but when we talk about the things uh, that we ask from God 
And in this case, Mary did not ask for this. But in this case, this is something that God promised her, that God told her. And this is what I want to take away from this passage, and then we'll go on to some other passages, is this. Whatever God says to you and to me, God will do it. No matter how difficult it might be, no matter how uh, long it might take, no matter what the barriers and obstacles might be, whatever God says to us that He will do, He will do. And it is nothing, no barrier, no matter how tall that barrier might be, is is tall enough or strong enough to prevent God from doing what He He said He will do, and we think especially of all the all the different uh, verses in the Bible that where God tells us of our future, and you know here's the, here's the thing you, we need to understand about us is that the things that God has promised to me and to you about what He is doing in me and what He is doing in you, you are not going to make those things impossible either. Now think about that. We are often the biggest hindrance that God has in our own life, right? <laughs> we hinder the work of the, of the Lord in our life. But you know what? That is not going to stop what God is going, going to do in you and in me. Because with God, nothing shall be impossible. God can make godly, upright, faithful Christians out of every one of us. He can. And He can make the hindrances and the obstacles that, that, that are in us, He can make those go away too. And, uh, and so whatever God says to us, whatever He promises to us, just like He promised to Mary, He reminds us, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now look at Mark chapter 9, if you would. Look at verse number 17. We're going to follow this theme in, in several different passages. Mark 9, verse 17. Verse 17 says this, And when he was gone forth into the way, this is the Lord, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? The problem is he asked the wrong question. He thought there was something you could do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Uh, do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. Honor thy father and mother. And he answered and said unto him, Master, all these have I observed from my youth. Then Jesus, beholding him, loved him. And said unto him, One thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. And he was, and he was sad at that saying, and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. Now there are some people, this is the, the story of the rich young, rich young ruler, of course, in this passage, he's not really described as a young man, but in a parallel passage, he's described as a young man. And he obviously has a lot of money, and, uh, which is why this, this conversation is happening. And he's also a very upright 
man. And then in verse number uh, verse number 21, and Jesus beholding him, this is just kind of an odd parenthetical statement, and Jesus beholding him loved him. Now for these reasons, some people believe that this young man was actually Saul of Tarsus. Now I don't know if that's the case. The Bible, of course, doesn't say that. But I think there's, there's good reason to think that it's a possibility. There's a good re- reason to think it's a possibility. So he, this, uh, this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and, and they have this conversation. Of course, this man goes away from God. This man goes away from God because of, his, uh, because of all of his uh, money. Because of his money. And verse 23, let's pick up there. And Jesus looked round about, up, uh, round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, How hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, here's what we have to understand. I I think I picked up on the fact that I used, I told you the wrong chapter, didn't I? Okay. I actually have both of these chapters in my notes. So we'll just, we'll keep on going from here. Okay. We're in Mark 10. Mark 10. Mark 10. Shame on you for not raising your hand and stopping me. No. So we'll just continue on this, and we'll get in Mark 9 in just a minute. So this, uh, Jesus says, and we have to understand about this uh, in, in this in this kind of cultural context, we, the, the disciples are astonished that this man is not, that, that this man, this rich man, that Jesus says this about rich people, that it's difficult for them to enter into the kingdom of God. Here's, here's why. Because at this time, you have to understand that some of the richest people were some of the most religious people, right? They were some, you think of the Pharisees. And again, I go back to Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus says in Philippians, uh, not Philippians, what was it? That was in Acts. He says, I profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals. So as a Pharisee, as a young man even, he, he had authority. Remember those letters he got from the chief priest to persecute Christians? Uh, Saul, Saul no doubt had means. He had reputation. He was a very religious man, a very uh, influential man, even in his youth. And... Uh, but it was, it's difficult, Jesus says it's difficult because in verse number uh, 24 it says, Children, how hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? You see, the disciples thought the, the wealthy men, that was a sign of, of their rightness with God. They were wealthy because they were right with God. And, and you know what? That's not such an uncommon, uncommon idea that floats around in the minds of people. You know, a lot of people think, you know, when, when something bad happens in their life, they think, well, oh, man, what did I do wrong? You know what that betrays? That betrays that idea, that, that, that philosophy, that when, if I do right things, good things happen to me. If I do wrong things, bad things happen to me. They believe that in Cambodia, and they believe that in America. And so when you look at these rich people, you think, man, they got it made. They must be right with God. God must really like them. And of course, we know what that wasn't the case. 
But Jesus talks about how that they trust in riches, and that stops them. That is the obstacle that stops them from entering into the kingdom of God. The, the, the Lord says riches prevent men from entering to such a degree that it's practically impossible. That's what he says, right? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. He says, it's practically impossible. This is an impossible task. Just like Mary, Mary having a baby, though she had not known a man, that's impossible. But the angel reminds us, he says, for with God, all things are, all things are possible with God. Nothing shall be impossible. So this is an impossible case. This is an impossible case. And I thought about with the rich man, this rich young ruler, I thought about how that uh, all of the other things, what kind of other, what other types of things are hindrances to people entering the kingdom of God? It's not just wealth, although this is one, and it's, it's almost like this, this, of course, riches is a major hindrance to people being saved. If I ask you right now, do you think Elon Musk is going to get saved or Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg? Or who's the guy? Who's the uh, uh, who's the guy at Amazon? Joe Biden. Well, Joe Biden's not rich. What are you talking about? If if I were to ask you, are these famous people, especially wealthy people? Of course, we're talking about wild, unimaginable wealth these people have. But even normal wealth, you know, you think about people. A lot of people that live in some of these fine gated communities. We know there are Christians in there, and really that proves the whole point of what I'm saying here. But you, you think about some of those people are some of the most difficult people to talk to. They're just, they, uh, many of them trust in riches. They, their riches, their wealth, their possessions are a security for them. And that it gives them the impression, it gives them the, the sense that they have need of nothing. Right? It, that, it gives them this kind of false sense of security that kind of even pervades their spiritual thinking. And so they think, mm, I'm good. I got money. You know, if anything happens, you know, I can get the best doctors. You know, I can go down to, I can go to Emory. I can go to Duke. You know, I can go to the best doctors. You know, I, I got what I need. I don't have time to fool with, you know, this, these little issues like this, you know. And that, listen, that's just, that's just reality. That's, that's common. Trusting in riches. And of course, we know that that can't do anything for anyone before God. God doesn't need any of that. But you think about that, kind of apply it to other things that hinder people from coming to, to, to Christ. It might be family. You know, it might be, it might be often what hinders people from coming to Christ is what they have seen in hypocritical Christians. That's a, that's a real thing, right? Uh, pain and hurt and bitterness that people have suffered. There are many, there's, you know, you think about... Uh, False religion, how false religion just binds people up. Many, many other hindrances, love of the world, the love of sin, drug addiction, alcohol addiction. You think about all these things that are obstacles, just like this rich man. His riches were an, was an obstacle preventing him from, from entering the kingdom of God. Jesus said, this is impossible. This is practically impossible. Right? Verse 26. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? Uh, again, thinking the rich, the rich people are, are, the most, are the people the closest, you know. 
Verse 27, And Jesus looking upon them saith, With men it is impossible. So just stop there a second. You think about the people that are under the, the bondage of the devil. Think about people who are under his sway, who, are, who seem to be the most difficult. I'm talking about people who are outside of the kingdom of God now. All right, that's what this is, right? I'm talking about people who, who are, who are uh, antagonistic to the gospel, who have their religion, who do not want to know about it. You know, you, you all have loved ones. I have loved ones that are like this. Some, sometimes it's not that. It's some, people, some people are persuaded that they're good to go, even though they're obviously not. You know, that's a huge obstacle. And we say it's impossible. We might think it's just impossible. There's no way. We can't even imagine that person trusting in Christ or even being open to it. We can't imagine, it's just, it's just impo- practically impossible. And we'll hold out hope and we'll say, thing, you know, well, you know, the Lord can do it, but we don't really believe it, <laughs> right? With men, it is impossible, verse 27, but not with God, for with God, all things are possible. Now, again, not a rabbit's foot, not a, a verse to put on a calendar. What is the context? It's this context of this rich, these rich men whose riches so delude them so that they will not enter the kingdom of God. I wonder, do you know someone who's in that kind of place where you think to yourself, it's just impossible? It's just impossible. Listen, those, those names are the kinds of people that you need to take to God and you need to bring their names before God, knowing that with men it's, it's not possible. With men it is impossible, but not with God. Amen. Listen, even the person who, who is, the you might say, the most lost in sin, who is bound by the, by the thickest chains, who is deceived in the, in the, to the greatest degree that you might know, that person is not outside of the reach of God. That's what we have to understand. And we need to go beyond just giving that mental assent and start, start practically applying that in the way that we pray for them. Now, listen, I'm talking to myself as much as anybody. People that are not in God's kingdom, that are lost, that are wayward, that are antagonistic, they are not outside of God's reach. God can take a rich man whose salvation is practically impossible and he can do what what is impossible. God can do it. Look at, uh, we'll come back to Mark in just a second, but look at um, 2 Corinthians really quick. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 4, this is talking about warfare. Verse 3 says, we do not war after the flesh. Verse 4, in the parentheses, it says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God 
to the pulling down of strongholds. What's interesting in this, this is talking about spiritual warfare. This is, look at the next verse. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. These are the kinds of things that keep rich men bound in trusting their riches and that keep religious people bound in their false religion and that keep people deceived. It's these these imaginations, these high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of Christ. In other words, Christ says one thing, these ideas say another, and they believe these ideas. It's like a, it's like a fort. It's like a fortified city that has surrounded, their mind is, is like a fortified city. And so whatever attempts there are to reach them are, are repelled, right? But it says... The weapons of our warfare, in verse 4, are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down strongholds. That word mighty is the same word as we have that we've been studying about being possible. It's talking about power, ability. And you know, these weapons of our warfare, the word of God and prayer, primate, right, right? those are our weapons, the sword of the Spirit. And prayer are the weapons that the Christian has in Ephesians chapter 6. Those are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. That's what, that's what the verse is saying. In other words, those people who are outside the kingdom of God, like these rich men, it's not possible that we can reach them with men. But God can reach them. But God can reach them. Now, let's look at another passage in, uh, back in Mark. We'll go back to the original one that I was supposed to read at the beginning. Maybe there's a reason I got it all backwards. Mark chapter 9, verse number 17. It says this, And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. Notice that word, could not. That's related to impossible, right? Able, can, possible. They could not. And he answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Now, he's, I don't think he's referring to this man and his son. He's referring to the disciples based upon a parallel passage. Verse 20. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. So in that verse, we know that this problem, this, uh, I guess, demonic possession of some sort had actually been, been, uh, been happening quite a long time. This, this son is apparently an adult, and this has been happening since he was a child. Verse 22, and oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if, now this is the key, but if Thou canst do anything. Have compassion on us and help us. Notice that. The problem with this man, the problem with this man is 
is a problem of faith. Is a problem of faith. And you keep reading, we'll, we'll keep reading just for the context, verse 23, and Jesus said, said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. See that? He admits he's asking Jesus for something with unbelief. So what you have is this weird thing where he's, he's asking Jesus something, but mingled in with maybe a tiny little bit of faith is a lot of unbelief. And I think that probably this characterizes a shameful number of my prayers, to be honest with you. He says, if thou canst do anything. In other words, he wasn't asking necessarily asking Jesus to heal, the, heal the, his son completely. He just wanted maybe a little bit of, a little bit of uh, help, a little bit of uh, maybe temporary, uh, a temporary solution of some kind. Maybe Jesus could help because this was a case that was just beyond the boundaries, beyond the abilities of man to do anything or apparently even Jesus. If you notice an interesting fact in verse 17, what does he refer to Jesus as? He says what? Master. But then after, he, after the Lord points out his unbelief, he cries out, his emotions get the best of him, and he says with tears, Lord. Now, master is just a word that means basically like instructor or teacher. Lord is a much more significant term. See, he came to Jesus as master, and with, with, uh, with a great deal of unbelief. But when he got to the point where his faith kind of went up a little bit, the way he referred to Jesus was different. He referred to him as Lord. As I said, he was asking about something without believing the Lord had the ability to do anything about it. Especially considering how long his child had been suffering. Now, look at verse number 23. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe. So he asked Jesus, if, if thou canst do anything. Jesus answered. I love how the Lord answers in these kind of, these kind of uh, ways. If thou canst believe. All things are possible to him that believeth. So his problem, it was not a problem of ability, but it was a problem of faith. Now, here's the thing. This man brought his, his son to Jesus. The disciples had already failed, couldn't cast this, this devil out. He brings him to Jesus, and he says, eh, there, if you, if you can do anything, obviously not believing it. And he assumes that Jesus can't do anything. The reality is, though, that Jesus had all power to do anything. But sometimes we mistake, listen now, we mistake we mistake our own faith or lack of faith for God's inability to perform something. In other words, we think God can't do it when in reality the hindrance is not God's inability, but it is our own lack of faith. Now, I'm not asserting that everything we say to God, God's going to do. Like, again, like some of these all things are possible to him that believeth. You know, we think, you know, we want to move up in our job and become the CEO. And 
all things are possible in him that believeth. Or we want to buy a, you know, a brand new Tesla, and we're like, all things are possible in him that believeth. Or, you know, we have some self-centered, worldly ambition that is ungodly, and we say, all things are possible to him that believeth. This is, this is not the right way to use these verses. But sometimes we do come to God, and we pray to God, and our prayer is weak, and we, just like this man, finally admit Lord, you know I don't have any faith. I mean, you know, I, I don't know what to say. I, I'm trying to pray, but I, I, just don't, I just don't hardly believe it. And sometimes we think that God doesn't answer or what is actually our own lack of faith is, is really, uh, we, it's our own lack of faith and we assume it's God's inability. If you've ever been in situations in your life like that where you're faced with something that is beyond the capacity, not just beyond your capacity to fix, but beyond even what you think God can do. Now, none of us are going to say this. Well, God can't fix it. God can't do it. Because that doesn't sound the way it should sound. But you know what we do? If you search your heart, and I search my heart, that's what I think. We won't say God can't do it. But oftentimes we'll be like, well, it's just it's too far. It's too far gone. And sometimes when we have this kind of unbelief, we just stop asking. Just simply, it's not worth it. Even, even in this man, I know I'm applying a little bit of emotion here, but he says, he says if thou canst do anything, if, if, you, if you can do anything. You know, basically, you know, defeated it's over before he even asks, you know. And we bring things to God because, God, you told me to pray, but, you know. But again, the question is not can God do it, but do we believe that all things are possible to him that believeth, that God can do everything? Now look at Luke chapter 5, and we're going to wind down here in a second. Luke 5 and verse number 12. And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man of leprosy, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Listen to this now. Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Now let me ask you something. This leper, did he have the same problem as this man with the son? No. The man with the son doubted Jesus' ability. The leper wondered of Jesus' willingness. Right? The leper wondered of his willingness. But it was a simple answer. But the, the, the ability of the Lord to heal him, notice he uses the term, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I love this, I will. I will. So when we doubt the Lord's ability, when we, I'm sorry, when we doubt his willingness, sometimes we doubt his ability. 
Of course, like I said, we don't say it, but we do. And so that causes our prayers to be lethargic and apathetic and weak. Not a prayer of faith, but a prayer of whatever. Sometimes we just stop praying altogether because we feel like it's just too far. God can't intervene. He can't change this. And so we don't, we just kind of, our prayer just kind of withers there and it dies there. And then other times we pray and we know that God can do it, but we wonder, is He willing? You see, how we view the impossible determines how we pray and if we pray. Now, there's one. Let's look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 32 really quick. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17. And after this, we'll go to our final passage. This is Jeremiah praying. Listen to how he prays. It's a good lesson for us. We talk about the impossible. He says, Ah, Lord God, verse 17, Jeremiah 32, verse 17. He says, Ah, Lord God, behold, thou hast made the heaven and the earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. And is there anything, is there, I'm sorry, and there is nothing too hard for thee. See that? How did Jeremiah start his prayer? He started his prayer reminding himself that nothing was impossible to God. So you start your prayer out like that and you say, Lord, you made heaven and earth. Nothing is too hard for thee. And on that basis, on that basis, you tell God about that impossible thing that no man can affect. One of the most, one of the most difficult, in my opinion, one of the most difficult things for a Christian to deal with are not issues of money or issues of maybe jobs or, or necessarily even health issues. But it's when you have a prayer about another person whose will is involved, that is hard. Because we all know how rebellious the human will is. That's why we have the story of the rich man. The rich young ruler. God can get to that person. But whatever the case might be. Listen, we need, I need, a revival of praying big. Right? I need, I need, and I think we all need, we need, we need to pray for those things that are impossible. And we need to stop thinking of those things as, as too far, too distant, not within the realm of reason, and start praying for things that are a little unreasonable. Amen. We do need to do that. And I'm not talking about for money. I'm not talking about for worldly things. I'm talking about for the kingdom of God. Praying for people. How many of you have a family member, a friend, or a neighbor, or somebody that you, or, or even maybe it's even a vice in your own self, something that you need help with? We need to extend and stretch those prayers out and be more, maybe a little more consistent 
with what we know, the Bible says, how that nothing shall be impossible. There is nothing. Because, listen, that is the context of these verses. So we come to God, we have this impossible thing, something we want. We, we imagine that God might be able to do it. We imagine it, maybe in our, 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 the furthest stretch of our imagination, we think, well, maybe God can do that. But I just, I mean, that's just too far. I just, we don't even bother praying. Maybe we need to start praying for that very thing. You know, I have loved ones that, you know, that are this, it's like, I feel like that. Pray for them for so, so many years and just very, very little happens. We need to pray for that which seems impossible to us. And we need to start our prayer with this. Behold, thou hast made heaven and earth by thy great power and stretched out arm. And there is nothing too hard for thee. Lord, here's my request. You can do it. Right? Lastly, I want to look at Mark 14. I think a fitting end because we have an example of someone who prayed this. Verse 34, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane says, He says, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Listen to what Jesus prays. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Is he not beginning his prayer in the way Jeremiah did? Lord, you can do anything. Take away this cup from me. We know what that cup is. That cup deals with the sufferings of, of, uh, from the sin of the world. We know that. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. This just throws a wrench in everything I just said. Because we know this prayer went unanswered. The answer was no. He was, it was the Father's will that Jesus drink this cup. It was the Father's will that Jesus drink this cup. But he came to the Father and said, All things are possible unto thee. So even, listen now, even when we pray in faith and we say, Lord, I, it, my, my faith is so small, my unbelief is so big, but, but, but Lord, like the man said, help my unbelief. Lord, you, you made heaven and earth. You made the human heart. You can do anything. Amen. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. Here is my request. But even then, even then, we surrender that thing to God and we say, God, even then, I give it to you and I entrust you with it. That if for some reason what I'm asking is not what you want, that what you want will be best. Amen. 
This is, this is like the paradox of, of prayer. <laughs> Sometimes I pray and I, I wonder, you know, we'll say things like, if it be thy will, heal this person. You know, we'll say that because we all, we all feel the, the sting of praying for someone. And then, you know, you pray for someone who's going to have a test, for instance, for cancer. And, and all of you know what this is like. You're, you, a loved one or a friend, maybe in the church or whatever, is, is going in for a test and they're very afraid and troubled over this test because it, you know, it, could, you know, it could have major ramifications for the rest of their life. And we pray and we pray and they get that test back and it's positive. They have the cancer. And that hurts, does it not? And we walk away and we're like, and our, sometimes we experience prayers like that. So we take what the Lord says here, and He says, all things are possible. Lord, you can do anything. You can make, you can make what that doctor sees on that scan to go away like that. But at the end of the day, we trust you. Amen. That's the paradox of prayer. Where you acknowledge, you and I acknowledge that we don't know what the outcome should be. That God alone sees all the parts and knows what He wants. We have our desire and He tells us, bring your desires and requests to me. But then ultimately we allow Him to have the final say. Amen. So sometimes I wonder, do I pray in faith? I, I don't know. I guess it's, I just have to leave you with that because there is a kind of these two things in tension. But I think we're safe to follow the example of our Lord in the garden when His prayer was answered negatively. But it was for the best. It was what the Father wanted. But He prayed all things are possible unto thee. Do you have something like that that you're praying about? And even if you don't, I want to encourage you just to stretch your prayers a little further. And that thing that is, is to your mind impossible, that you want to see God do, but you haven't really asked seriously, I want you to, I want you to take that thing back to the Lord and say, Lord, I know I've been thinking this thing is just beyond. I hadn't even bothered to pray about it because it's just too far gone. But you know what? I believe that you can do something here. Help me. I want to see you do it. Let's pray.